Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's July 29, 2013, and this is episode 381. Today I'm going to go into detail on why I expose to the right, as I get asked about this a lot. Exposing to the right means adjusting your exposure so that the image data that we see in the histogram falls as close to the right shoulder as possible. I've touched on this a number of times but never really gone into detail about the reasons, so here we go. Actually, before we jump into this, I found out last week that images in the enhanced podcast not being displayed in iTunes 11 is not a bug, it's the way Apple have decided it's going to be from now on. You have to hold down the command key on a Mac or control key on a Windows machine and then click the artwork in the little window at the top of iTunes. This will open the Enhanced Podcast Viewer so you can follow along with the images. I've also put together a page to help you understand this, if that doesn't make sense, and the page is at mbp.ac slash iTunes help. One word, I, you know, no, no space, iTunes help. So do take a look if you've been missing the images. Also, the some of the images that we'll look at today uh, are going to be 100% crops of the uh, the photos that we talk about. We'll talk about. So uh, do go over to the blog anyway and look at these. That's where you'll see them the biggest. And the blog post, as usual, is going to be mbp.ac/slash 381 for episode 381. So first, let's look at why exposing to the right helps you to create cleaner images starting with a little bit of background. When I first started shooting with a digital SLR some 12 years ago now, it was common for people to slightly underexpose the images to give them a little punch. It seems to make the colours more vibrant. The problem with that is, as we'll see, that we were inadvertently introducing more noise to the images. After a few years, I started to travel to Hokkaido, where I now run my winter wonderland tours. And before very long, I started to shoot in manual mode to ensure that I was getting well-exposed snow. As you know, the camera's meter still tries to expose everything as an 18% or neutral grey, which means if you shoot a snow scene, the camera will underexpose the photo by around two stops of exposure, making the snow look like a muddy grey. You can use exposure compensation, of course, adding two stops or so to counter this. But then if the predominantly white red, red crown crane, for example, that I shoot up there, moves from their white background to a dark background, you'd have to change your exposure compensation from plus two stops to up to minus two stops to compensate for the now dark background. For example, one moment I could be photographing something like the photograph that we've got on the, on the blog, the first image on the blog or in the enhanced podcast right now, uh, you see a white crane against a white background. And then the next moment I could see a a crane flying into the area, for example, on a dark background like in this image. 
This and the next image are screenshots from Lightroom to show you the histogram as well. You can see that this first image of a crane on a dark background is predominantly dark with that a small spike on the right of the histogram representing the white bird. You can also see a gap in between the bird and the right shoulder of the histogram, but this is Lightroom giving me a little bit of an extra, gives about an extra stop of exposure to play with. In the camera, this will have been just touching the right side of the histogram. Had I simply raised the camera from the shot of the white crane on a white background though, still with plus two stops of exposure compensation dialed in, the camera would have seen the dark background and brightened it up to a mid-grey, probably to the tune of around four stops, because you need to add two stops for the white on white, and then you would normally reduce the exposure by around two stops for black. I simulated this in Lightroom by increasing the exposure by four stops, as we can see in this image. See here too how the data on the histogram is mainly in the middle, with the white bird spiking to the right of the histogram. The middle area is the dark background. That should be way over to the left if we're gonna if we're gonna expose for the white of the crane. So just you know take a look at that. Uh, you'll have to click on the image on the blog really to see the detail in the histogram, but that's what you'll see. If you see this sort of histogram in the field without knowing that you're overexposing something, you know, you're not doing it on purpose, it's time to pull your exposure back until the histogram, uh, the data on the histogram is just before the right side. Of course, a crane against a blue sky would be a diff different settings again, and the size of the crane in the shot changes how much exposure compensation we need to use. So you end up fighting a losing battle or bracketing. Unless you're bracketing because you're shooting for HDRs, bracketing just shows a lack of understanding of exposure. I was initially told this by one of my mentors, a Japanese photographer named Hiroshi Yokoyama, a wonderful elderly gentleman that used to be an Olympic winter sports photographer and he now lives in Hokkaido fulfilling his life's work. I also heard Ansel Adams say this on a documentary too, so it's not just me being outspoken here. Well, maybe not. Exposing for the whites aside, you probably are still wondering why I'm such a stickler for exposing to the right, even for scenes of average brightness and tonality. You'd be forgiven for thinking that if the scene is similar to a mid-grey, you could leave the exposure up to the camera, but that's not the case. I started exposing to the right intuitively, but after a few years, someone pointed out a great article on Michael Reitman's Luminous Landscape website about optimising exposure. This was actually a follow-up from a 2003 essay, but both are of worth a read. I'll link to them in the show notes, but the biggest takeaway is how cameras distribute the image data when an image is saved to your memory card. Cameras have to convert the light that is captured by the photodiodes on your sensor to a digital value. 
Most cameras these days save this data for each pixel with 14 bits of data, meaning that we can have up to 65,536 tonal values per pixel. Many cameras at the moment record about 12 stops of dynamic range, some more, some less. And this is the range between a true black and a true white. And with a 14-bit sensor, this means we'd have 65,536 tonal values between the two extremes. Think of this as gradually filling a bucket of water or even filling a photodiode on your sensor with light. A totally empty bucket would be zero or totally black. And then as you pour water into the bucket or light into the photodiode, you gradually fill it until you hit the maximum that it can hold which would represent a pure white. Anything after that is just overflow. The white can't get any whiter, and that pixel is now overexposed. Because digital sensors are linear devices, if you double the amount of light that hits the photodiode, you double the amount of voltage generated by the sensor, or the amount of water that you pour into the bucket. The result is that data is literally halved with each stop or exposure value that is recorded, so the brightest stop of light the sensor can record has to be double that of the second brightest. This means that to use the full 65,536 tonal values across the entire image, we have to half the amount of data that can be used for each exposure value from pure black to pure white. For a 12-stop dynamic range sensor, this means that your data is broken up into 12 steps as follows. The first brightest stop of light will get 32,768 tonal values. The second will get 16,384. The third will get 8,192 and the fourth 4,096. The fifth gets 2,048 and the 6th gets 1,028, the 7th gets 512, and then 256, 128, 64, 32, and by the 12th, the darkest stop of light, you're getting 16 bits of data or tonal values. And that's basically compared to 32,768 for the brightest stop of light. This is why the darker parts of the image are more noisy than the brighter parts. The noise is always there, but because we have less data to record the darker areas of our image, the noise is much more visible. I'm sure you've noticed that even a nicely exposed image often has a bit of noise in the shadows. This is why. We've looked at a white scene or a dark background with a white subject and for those scenes, it's easy to understand why I set the exposure as I did. But what if you shoot a mid-tonal scene? Of course, if you leave the exposure up to the camera, it will record the scene in the middle of the histogram. So you will essentially be recording your image with, say, between 256 and 2048 tonal values per stop, as opposed to say 4096 and a massive 32,768 tonal values per stop in the brightest four stops of the image. And for a 12 stop dynamic range camera, this would be what is represented by the rightmost third of the histogram.
Here's an example of such a histogram from this shot of a springbok in Namibia earlier this year. You can see how the histogram data is over in the right third. Again though, noting that Lightroom is giving me an extra stop here. In the camera, the histogram was right up against the right shoulder. This of course means that despite me shooting this image at ISO 2500, even when viewed at 100%, there is very little noise, as we can see here. In an extreme case, you might find yourself shooting a very dark subject against a very dark background. In the film days, you'd have dialed in maybe a two or even a one or even two stop negative exposure compensation to ensure that the scene was recorded naturally dark. Remembering that the camera wants to brighten the scene up to an 18% grey. To ensure that we record our images with as wide a, a range of tonal values and as little noise as possible, you would even expose a very dark scene like that to the right and then reduce the exposure of your image in your post-processing workflow. I don't really have any examples of such a dark scene. I just, I don't shoot that many dark scenes. But many of the sand dune photos from Namibia this year have had the exposure dialed down to some degree. My favourite shot of the camel thorn trees against the sunlit sand dunes at Deadflay, for example, was dialed back by half a stop of exposure in Lightroom. This was according to plan, of course. I get the highest quality image possible by exposing to the right and then darken it down in post as much as necessary. Of course, I'm aware that many people think my images are high key anyway. That's because I have my monitor brightness set very low as part of my calibration process. Many people don't do this and that's why my images seem bright to them. The sad fact is though that most people's images are actually underexposed because they trust the camera too much, but they never know because they view them on a monitor with the brightness turned up full. Then they print them and wonder why the prints are too dark. If this sounds familiar to you, I hope a few pieces of the puzzle are starting to drop into place here. Part of the reason I decided to talk about this today was because of a conversation on This Week in Photo a few weeks ago. I'd mentioned shooting to the right or exposing to the right, which raised some listener questions. After talking a little bit about shooting to the right, though, we went on to talk about new features that we'd like to see in cameras, and I said that I'd love to see a setting on the camera that allowed you to just keep exposing the image until it starts to blow out or overexpose. Ideally, we'd be able to set a parameter to tell the camera how much of the scene gets overexposed. For example, we might want to stop at 0% so that, that there are no specular highlights overexposed at all. Or we could set it to say 1%, 3%, 5%, etc. As we can now start to blow out the image in the JPEG preview on the camera, but Lightroom actually gets more detail from the RAW file. So you can go over a little and it still doesn't hurt. There are times such as when I'm shooting the snow monkeys when I actually blow out probably 30 or even 40% of the scene because I'm looking for a well-exposed monkey 
and I don't care too much about the background. It's often out of focus anyway, and the slice of snow on the same focus plane as the monkeys has a bit of texture which reduces its luminosity to the point where it doesn't overexpose anyway. You have to be careful doing this of course, as too much overexposure can bleed into the darker areas, messing them up a little bit, but for the snow monkeys this doesn't really happen due to their fur. It kind of protects the highlights around them if you like. What I could see happening with this new feature though is kind of a hybrid aperture priority mode where I tell the camera what aperture I want to use as that's my most important setting. But then I also want to control how slow the shutter speed gets so auto ISO would also need to be turned on. I'm already doing this for some of my photography although I still shoot in manual mode more than 99% of the time because I lose too much control in aperture priority and exposure compensation drives me crazy. When using auto ISO, the camera bases the shutter speed on the focal length, but when you can set a minimum shutter speed as well, which is necessary with wildlife as the animals can move around so much that you, you'd need a faster shutter speed to avoid subject blur. This needs to be opened up a bit more on this new featured camera though. On my 5D Mark III, a 250th of a second is the fastest shutter speed that I can select for auto ISO to, to go down to. This would be fine for the snow monkeys most of the time, but I need faster shutter speeds for birds in flight. Ideally I'd like to be able to set this parameter to any shutter speed that the camera can use though I'd probably set it to between a 500th and a, and a thousandth of a second for birds in flight, depending on the size of the bird and how much wing movement I wanted. All of this though is only relevant if I had the ability to tell the camera to keep on exposing until a certain percentage of the scene is blown out. So I imagine that the algorithms would be somewhat com complicated, but we always already have the ability to create a live histogram in live view so the camera could adjust the shutter speed ISO or even aperture depending on our settings to achieve that optimal exposure it sees it in the histogram already this would of course become more difficult for TTL or through the lens photography because there's no light hitting the sensor like there is in live view once you start to expose the image though, light is hitting the sensor. So assuming I was in aperture priority mode, I imagine the camera would need to change ISO as well as the shutter speed dynamically as it exposed the image. All of this happening as fast as a thousandth of a second. Stopping the exposure as the image starts to overexpose is already possible with some flash photography and that is working at similar speeds, a thousandth of a second or so I believe. So I know that it's not impossible to do this. It's really just a case of the camera manufacturers spending the R&D dollars or more likely yen to figure this out for regular exposure and get it implemented. I see a time though when we will expose all scenes to the right for the best image quality 
And then the camera might even include a bit of information on the tonal values in the scene and normalize it in post or even in the camera, but without throwing away all of the tonal values that it gained by exposing the image to the right in the first place. So if you don't already expose to the right, but I've convinced you to give it a try, there are a few things that you'll need to bear in mind as you work. Firstly, if your camera has the ability to display an RGB histogram, turn it on. The standard grey histograms are displaying an average of the red, green and blue channels, and this can give you a false sense of security. Depending on your subject, one of the channels can start to blow out before the others, and it's sometimes only possible to see this with an RGB histogram, so watch out for that. Also, if you are going to shoot dark scenes uh, with up to three or four stops brighter exposure, do keep your eye on your shutter speeds. You may need to increase your ISO to achieve a fast enough shutter speed for the scene in front of you. This shot of a cheetah, for example, is not a dark scene as such, but it was dark when I shot it. Just minutes before this, I could only see this cheetah with the lights of our safari vehicle, and there was just enough light from the sun still way below the horizon for me to be able to get this shot by cranking up my ISO to 12,800. This gave me a 125th of a second exposure, which was as low as I dare go, but I was standing on my seat with my 300mm and 2x extender fitted for a 600mm focal length, and the lens was resting on my hand, so it was relatively stable. The cheetah wasn't moving either, so I got away with this shutter speed. As we can see from this 100% crop though, sure, there's noise, but it's totally acceptable in my opinion. What most people instinctively do though, in low light, is to be too afraid to increase the ISO and shoot the scene darker, expecting to brighten it up in post. The irony here is, of course, that if you shot this at, say, ISO 3200, two stops darker, you'd record the image with fewer tonal values per stop of light, making it much noisier. Then when you increase the exposure in post, you amplify the noise, giving you a total piece of crap of an image. So, the long and short of it is, if you want to capture the best quality images that you can, shoot to the right, even if you then dial the exposure down in software later. Phew, a little bit of a cerebral episode there this week, uh, but I hope I was able to boil that down into easy to understand terms. Like it, a lot of it was perhaps, uh, it's going to take a, a couple of rewinds to, uh, to figure it out, but hopefully that's helped. Thanks very much for listening today. And remember that you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter and Facebook, etc. And links to everything that I'm up to are on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. So do drop by and take a look. You'll notice as well that I've actually switched the site around. That what used to be my blog is now the main page that you'll enter into the site with. So the links are along the top for the social media stuff. I'll be back next week, though, with another episode. In the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.